Well, good morning. Welcome to this gathering of Trinity Community Church. My name's Justin. I'm one of the members here. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad that you're here. If this is your first time with us, thanks for making the trip out here. Um, we gather today as Christians have gathered for hundreds and thousands of years, except for the past like 20 Sundays. But we gather today to worship the Lord together. Our God is the God who has done wonderful things, and we gather to praise him for his deeds. Let's read this call to worship from Psalm 66, and you can read the underlying portions aloud with me. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Let's sing to the Lord together. Washed linen, 
how I'll sing thy sovereign praise. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass, for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass, for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. So when we look at the great deeds of our Lord, we see that he is holy, he is awesome, and he is so far above us. And we look at his great deeds and we're reminded of our own deeds. But our deeds are not great like our Lord. Our deeds are filled with selfishness, with pride. The, the Lord calls that sin. And he says this about our sin. It says, For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Brothers and sisters, we cannot bear the weight of our own sin. And so we go before the Lord to confess our sin. So take a moment right now where you're standing and silently confess your sin to the Lord. God, we're reminded that we have broken your law. Lord, the weight of our sin weighs heavy on our souls, and we come to confess. Lord, we trust that it's you and you alone through your Son, Jesus Christ, that can forgive us of our sin and take away that heavy burden. And so, Lord, we do that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue. This heart to praise you. 
So how do we know that God will hear our confession to him? How do we know that he will listen to our prayers? Well, it's because he promises that he will. Hear this promise from Psalm 66. It says, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Read this with me. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. We know this because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin. And when we confess, we don't put our hope in ourselves, but we put our hope in Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you've confessed your sin, be assured that Christ has taken your sin upon His shoulders. Let's praise the Lord for that great truth. Him at such a cost, he 
justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raise with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight. Brothers and sisters, there may have been times over the last several months that you felt like you couldn't hold on anymore. And the truth of that song tells us that God is holding on to us because of what Christ has done. Let's thank the Lord for that. God, we thank you for the way you keep us protected. Lord, we thank you for the way you've rescued us from our sin. Lord, we thank you for the communion that we have with you through your Son. And Lord, we thank you that there will be a day when we will see you. Lord, keep us to that day. Help us to look ahead to that day. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. You guys can be seated. Welcome. I don't have to because there's nobody new in the building this morning. But I, in case you forgot, I'm Josh. Um, it's good to see you all again. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Man, uh, some mornings are just special, and hearing y'all shout that song at the top of your lungs was really um, was what I needed to hear this morning. So thank you. Thank you so much for th- uh, singing this morning and for praising the Lord for his, uh, his ability to hold us fast through all this. It was good for my soul. Well, in just a minute, Kevin is going to come and lead us through Psalm 71 as we continue working our way through the Psalms this summer. If you haven't had a chance to meet Kevin yet, he's one of our current elder candidates. Members, if you're a member, you'll be voting on that next Sunday. But this is not an interview sermon, I promise. He doesn't have to get six hallelujahs and four amens and 12 laughs in order to pass the test, okay? Just got to be faithful to the word this morning, and we fully expect that. So anyway, this is just kind of funny how the timing worked out that he's preaching this week and then we're voting next week, but the two are not correlated, I promise. We're eager to hear uh, from the Lord in Psalm 71 through Kevin in just a couple minutes. And we're trying to keep things sort of streamlined in the season like we talked about last week. Um, so uh, sometimes we would give like a bio of, of whoever's preaching. Now you can just find out the bio from Kevin directly, okay? Just ask him about his life. Um, also, I want to let you know, you probably noticed on your way in, especially if you were here last week, that there is no communion table at the back. We want to limit our intake of styrofoam to twice a month at this point, okay? Okay. Um, (laughs) The crackers on the top, I'm pretty sure are styrofoam. But uh, anyway, we're doing prepackaged communion. Uh, It's a little bit trickier to do that. It's a little bit more expensive to do that as well. And so we're just going to go every other week 
as soon as possible, we want to get back to doing it every, uh, every week. We think that's a really special thing for us to celebrate weekly as a family. But just so you know, for the, for the next couple of weeks or months or whatever, it's just going to be every other week. So if you're coming every other week with your spouse or whatever, um, you'll want to you wanna mix it up every once in a while so you can take communion with us. Um, so just keep that in mind for the next couple of weeks. Uh, before Kevin comes, though, I mentioned last week in our sermon from Psalm 61 that one of the most significant challenge for, challenges for me personally of late has been saying goodbye to really dear friends. And this morning, the trend continues. Um, we're going to say goodbye to Brian and Cassie Phillips uh, and their sweet kids, Malachi, Cora, Jairus, Forrest, and Emmanuel. That'll uh, eat into your church growth in a hurry right there. Um, they are heading to Missouri in the next week or so. Uh, to prepare to go back to Spain, where they're committed to sharing the saving, renewing power of King Jesus with the Spaniards in the city of Granada. Going back to Granada, yeah. So uh, they'll be in Granada sometime in the next year or so. If you don't, if you haven't had the privilege of meeting Brian and Cassie over their time here, they are gritty, faithful Christians. You may not know it, but they are like an integral, wonderful, critical cog in this little church operation we have going on here at Trinity, doing so many things behind the scenes and, uh, and on stage, really. I personally will miss Brian's wit, humor, some of his sarcasm, um, his correction, his encouraging out-of-the-blue phone calls uh, that he, he often uh, sends my way, and his authentic love, not just for religion, but for the actual person of Jesus. Brian loves Jesus, and he believes that Jesus is who he says he is, and he, he's committed to, to, to making Jesus' name famous all across the globe. And so we are, we are really, really, really going to miss this family. There's a silver lining here. Uh, much like the Rogers, uh, this isn't like the last goodbye. So we are eventually going to fly the Rogers back so we can have an official goodbye with them. Um, and the, the Phillips are going to come back too, I'm sure exclusively to give us a chance uh, to say goodbye in, in a way that would allow us to hug you, at least in public. Um, just kidding. Just kidding, YouTube. Um, but we'll get a more thorough goodbye that isn't complicated by COVID, uh, hopefully in the next couple of months. We grieve that this can't be more today, Phillips family. We wish it could. It's just a weird season. Um, but in God's providence, it's where we're at. We love you. Um, we respect you so much. Uh, we're going to miss you. And John's going to come now and sort of uh, lead us through thinking about how, how to say goodbye to them and how to care for them in the coming months. So, uh, Hey, good morning, church. Um, in just a moment, we are... Uh, we're we're going we're to pray for this family. I'm going to have them come up. Uh, not yet, but in a minute, we're going to pray for them. Uh, but I just wanted to share a few words. Um, many of you know the Phillips family. They've, they've been, uh, as Josh said, they've, they've been so ingrained in the life of this church for uh, several years now. Brian and Cassie, they've, they've served as uh, CG uh, leaders. Brian was uh, one of our pastoral candidates here. Um, he's also been helping lead our, our global mission team. Cassie's been involved with uh, women's ministry. The, the Phillips are family here, and, and many of us have grown really close to them. If, if you know this family, you can't not 
love the Phillips. I mean, you can't not love them. And it's because they probably love you to pieces, right? Um, I know I've experienced this. I'm sure you have felt this and experienced this. One of the things that I love about Brian and Cassie is their genuine love and care for others. If you're, if you're with Brian and Cassie, and I've experienced this multiple times myself, they, they've got no other agenda but to be present with you, to, to love you, to, take, to care for you. Um, this, is just, this is just who they are. They're eager to love. They're eager to serve others, eager to set aside their, their time and their comfort and invite others into their lives and, and their space and their rhythms. And this has been, I think, a really sweet gift for us as a church. Um, guys, Brian and Cassie, your friendship has, has been a really sweet gift to us as a church. We're really grateful for you guys. And I'm glad that, um, that, I'm glad that our friendship doesn't stop here, too. Um, one other thing that, that you... Uh, might know. If you know Brian and Cassie, you know that they have this unquenchable passion to take the good news of Jesus beyond these walls to places on the other side of the planet where there are people who need Jesus. Uh, their, their hearts ache for the lost, for those who've never heard the name of Jesus spoken, not once who've never been told the good news of the gospel, that there is life and hope in one Savior, right? And his name is Jesus. God's got a plan, and his plan is to redeem a, a group of people who are his very own. And this group of people will be called out and redeemed from every tribe and language and people and nation. And he's not going to stop until he has created this people for himself out of the nations. At Trinity, we want to be caught up in God's plan. We want to relentlessly pursue this mission. That's why every week we pray together, right? Every week we pray that God would call some of us to go, to go to unknown places and unknown peoples and take the gospel to these places so that many would hear the good news of Jesus crucified and raised and be saved and treasure him for, for eternity. So we want to be caught up in this mission, God's mission. And part of what that looks like, I think, is partnering with missionaries like the Phillips, partnering with a family like the Phillips. It looks like praying with and for the Phillips, that God would carry out his mission through them and, and the church in Spain, in Granada. It looks like some of us leaving the the comfort of our homes and our routines and occasionally going over to Granada, Spain to care for the Phillips, to help with them uh, and to to pray with them. And we'll have opportunities uh, to do this in the future. Uh, Jesus uh, was talking to his disciples and, and he said these words to them. He said, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes. They're ripe for harvest. Look at the fields in Abington. They're ripe for harvest. Look at the fields in your neighborhoods. They're ripe for harvest. And, and as the Phillips have been thinking about next steps, the Lord has been placing on their heart. Look at the fields in Granada, Spain. They're ripe for harvest. Brian and Cassie... Um, they're going to be leaving us soon, as Josh said, but we wanted to take a moment to, 
to pray with them. We're going to see them again, um, but we're going to pray with them. So guys, why don't you come on up? Pastors, if you could come too uh, and, and join us. Is Lou here? Josh and I, we're going we're gonna to lay hands on you guys. We're going to pray. We're going to pray with you. Let's pray, church. Father, you say in your word, Jesus, you say these words that there are other sheep that are not yet of your fold, who have not yet heard your voice that you are going to bring into the fold. And what a remarkable thing that you use us to be a mouthpiece to your voice so that your voice can be heard and that so many would be saved out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you so much for the Phillips that you have placed this, this burden and this unquenchable passion to leave the comforts of this place, to go across the seas into an unknown place where there are unknown people who, who do not know the gospel. I pray that they would trust you, that they would, that, they would, that they would know that you are holding them fast even as they are um, making all these transitions, heading back to Missouri and then getting prepared to, to go to Spain. I pray that they would know that you are their good shepherd who is leading them. And Lord, I pray that you would even now prepare those fields over in Granada, Spain. Um, that you would equip this family for the work of putting their hands to the plow. Um, what an exciting uh, opportunity for us to partner with the Phillips as they do this. Help us to, to um, frequently pray with them and for them to reach out and to see how they're doing in the, in the coming months. Um, help us uh, to, to trust you as you are doing this work, um, as you are growing your church. And um, Lord, we, we are just so eager to do that as a church family. Uh, thank you for this family. We pray that you would bless them in the days ahead. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning again. Okay. <laughs> well, um, why don't I pray for us? <laughs> and then we'll read scripture and uh, we'll see what God has for us for a few minutes and, uh, and then we'll sing. God, thank you so much that we can come together. 
I want to thank you again for the Phillips and just how much of an important part of this church family they've been. And I pray again that you'd help us to remember them and to uh, hold the ropes for them as they go uh, to preach the gospel. I pray that you would open a door for them uh, for the gospel and that you'd provide for them. I pray now that uh, you would help us to see the truth of your word and I pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Well, our sermon this morning is from Psalm 71. So uh, turn with me to Psalm 71. And I'll read the text. Psalm 71, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope. My trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be discovered, may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I also will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me me hurt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I've entitled this sermon, A Lifetime of Praying, because this, uh, this psalm is the prayer of an older man 
Uh, maybe it was written by King David in his older age. Maybe it was just written by an anonymous believer uh, in their older age. So if you're an older believer here today, maybe this psalm will uh, speak to you in a way, that it, it, in a way that's more understandable um, than to younger believers. Uh, one commentator called this a psalm for old age. And it is a psalm for old age. But it's not just a psalm for old age. It's a psalm for younger believers and really all believers as well. Because what this psalm does is it, it teaches us how to grow old in the faith. It teaches us what's coming around the corner. You know, if you wonder, right, what should I expect as I get older in the faith? This psalm is your psalm. It, that's what it's telling us. This is what we should expect as we get older in the faith. And here's what it tells us. It tells us that believers should expect a lifetime of prayer, trouble, hope, and praise. And that's the main point of my sermon today, is that believers should expect a lifetime of prayer, trouble, hope, and praise. Now, let me just say that this psalm strikes me as a pretty rambling psalm. Uh, it's kind of a, it's a prayer, right? And it's kind of a rambling prayer. So if you're a rambler, you know, uh, if you're a rambling prayer, we have an inspired example in the holy word of God of a rambling prayer. So it can't be that bad, right? God is, is pleased with rambling prayers, okay? So uh, take heart. <clears throat> but it does make it really difficult to outline and explain and try to preach through this psalm. So what I've decided to do is I, I've just noticed four major themes that stand out in this psalm, and, um, and these four themes have kind of uh, informed what I, what I think the main point of the passage is. And the four themes I've mentioned, uh, they are prayer, trouble, hope, and praise. And I hope by the end of our 30 minutes together or so that you'll be able to see how these four things work together. So let's start with the first theme, uh, and that is that believers should expect a lifetime of prayer. Believers should expect a lifetime of prayer. So this psalm is a prayer to God, and what's it a prayer for? Uh, well, look with me in verse 2. He says, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. This is a prayer for salvation. Deliver me, hear me, save me, right? It's a prayer that God would help him and rescue him and deliver him. Specifically, as we keep reading, it's a prayer that God would not forsake him in his old age. You can see that in verse 9. It says, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Or again in verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. <clears throat> now this was a man who had known and trusted the Lord his whole life. It's a prayer of an older believer, right? You can see that in verse 1. He says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. 
Or then we see in verse 5, he says, For you, Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Right, right from when he was a young man. He explains even more in verse 6. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth, or literally from the womb, right, from the very beginning of my life. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. So the psalmist recognizes here that God is the one who has kept him safe, right? even from when he was a helpless baby, when he was first born. We can think of how many children in the history of the world who have not made it safely through childbirth, right? But the psalmist says, God, you kept me safe through childbirth. You are the one who has protected me from the very beginning. And the psalmist says he's leaned on the Lord. He's, he's trusted in the Lord from the very beginning. And he's a believer. Right? In that way, he's not too different from me and you. Even though he lived before Christ, right? he is one who trusts in the Lord and trusts in his word. Right? If you're a believer, he, he's like us. Right? Some of us have, some of us, like the psalmist, have trusted in the Lord our entire lives, right? Um, and some of us came to the faith later in life, but all of us who are believers take refuge in the Lord. We trust that He is the one who is behind all the circumstances of our life. So to use His words here, verse 3, we say, we say, God, You are my rock of refuge. We say, God, You are my rock and my fortress, right? That's what it means to be a believer. This is very different from the way that unbelievers think of themselves, right? Unbelievers tend to think, unbelievers tend to think that I stand on my own two feet, right? With my own strength and without God. But believers recognize that we only stand because of the Lord. We say, like the psalmist in verse 7, you are my strong refuge. Frightened children run to their parents for refuge, and we run to the Lord for refuge. Actually, the analogy kind of breaks down because children are created by God to grow up and to become independent and to live on their own, right? But we never outgrow running to the Lord for refuge, right? We become independent of our parents, but as believers, we never become independent of the Lord. We always run to him for refuge. And for that reason, we should always expect our lives to be lives of prayer. Believers should expect a lifetime of prayer. Right? So maybe you can look back to times of crisis in your life, and that tends to draw us closer to the Lord and running to Him more. But we shouldn't just think of that as something in the past that's going to be something in the future. Right? We should expect a lifetime of prayer just like this psalmist. Well, there's one reason that he gives in the psalm uh, that we should expect a lifetime of prayer, and it's the second major theme that I see in the psalm, and that is that believers should expect a lifetime of trouble. Believers should expect a lifetime of trouble. Why is this older saint crying out to the Lord? Because he's in trouble, right? He's in a tough spot. 
Specifically, he says that cruel enemies are trying to hurt him. Look at verse 4. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. Or look at verses 10 and 11. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. There are people who want to take advantage of this psalmist, um, especially in his old age. Maybe that's like people today who try to take advantage of older people. Here in the psalm, he says they even want to kill him. They think he's vulnerable. They think God has abandoned him. They're ready to take advantage of that. Related to these enemies that he has, he says he faces the trouble of shame. You can see that in the very first verse of the psalm. He says, let me never be put to shame. Right? What's shame? I think we all know it, even if it's hard to put your finger on it. It's the feeling of pain that comes when other people look down on you. <clears throat> now, sometimes shame is deserved. You can even see that in the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and they're ashamed to stand before him. Right? Sometimes when we do something wrong, we're ashamed, and we're, we're ashamed especially if someone finds out about it. But sometimes shame is undeserved. Right? The book of Hebrews tells us that even Jesus experienced shame, right? The shame of the cross. And he was the sinless son of God. The shame of this psalm seems to be mainly undeserved shame. The author's cruel enemies are trying to bring him to shame. That's probably the meaning of verse 7. Verse 7 says, I have been as a portent to many. That's a weird word, uh, but it means sign. I've been a sign to many. And the idea is probably that the difficulty of his life, perhaps, perhaps his, his aging, has led some to take it as a sign or a portent that God has abandoned him. <clears throat> he says that people are accusing him. You see that in verse 13. He talks about my accusers. Isn't it often the case that evil people will accuse the good people of being evil? <clears throat> people call evil good, and they call good evil. I think we see this in our culture today when Christians are sometimes vilified as unloving. Isn't it the exact opposite that's true? The world is a remarkably cruel and unloving place. But the church follows the man who taught us to love God, to love our neighbors, and even to love our enemies. Right? The church has been given the spirit who enables us to love one another and to love our enemies. I'm not saying that Christians are perfect, and I'm not saying that unbelievers are never kind, but I am saying that to say that Christians are unloving and to say that the world is loving is to totally flip the truth upside down. It's to call good evil and to call evil good. It's an unjust attempt to bring shame on the righteous. Why would people want to bring shame on the righteous? Well, Scripture tells us, and I think the biggest reason is that we have a bigger enemy. I'm thinking about Satan, right? 
Satan, according to Revelation 12, is the great deceiver of the whole world. Satan is the great accuser of the church. Satan is our great enemy. And make no mistake, in the words of verse 4, he is wicked and unjust and cruel. And he wants to bring everything good in this world to shame. Even Jesus, the sinless Son of God. But let me just step back a little. Sometimes there's a grain of truth in Satan's accusations. Sometimes there's a grain of truth in the accusations of the world against the church. The church, Christians, still struggle with sin. Even in this psalm, in verse 16, he says that God alone is righteous. We see another hint of this in verse 20, possibly. Verse 20 says, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. And some commentators think this refers to the troubles and calamities of the exile. Do you know what the exile is? The exile is that great event in Israel's history when God punished Israel for their sin because they didn't keep the law and their idolatry and their wickedness. And really, that same wickedness, that same twisted heart is a humanity that we partake in as well. We have not kept God's law either. But remember, the gospel teaches us that God not only saves us from unjust shame, he saves us Uh, that we don't deserve, right? He saves us from the shame that we do deserve as well. Christ died for our sins. He was shamed on the cross so that we could be free from shame, even when our shame is deserved. So in Christ, we can pray with the psalmist, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In Christ, We can pray against our enemies with the psalmist prays in verses 12 and 13. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek my hurt. And in Christ, we can even say what the psalmist says in verse 21. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Here we see that the hope of the psalmist is that his name will be cleared, that he'll be delivered from shame, that he'll be delivered from all those who look down on him. How can we say this with the psalmist? Sometimes we face unjust shame, and it's because we deserve it, right? But often we face just shame, right? How, How can we say at the end of the day, that you'll increase my greatness. Are we really that great? No, it's only because we take refuge in Christ the Lord, the one who was crucified for our sins. So let me just ask you this, right? If you're not a believer in Christ, why would you not take refuge in him? Why would you not want to receive vindication from the shame that you deserve? Why would you not want this free gift? Well, before I finish this second point about the believer's trouble, I want to draw your attention to verse 20. Verse 20 says, You, God, 
have made me see many troubles and calamities. The reason I wanted to draw your attention to this is because the psalmist says that God himself is the one who has brought these troubles and calamities on him. So we could ask ourselves, who brought this trouble on the psalmist? Was it his enemies or was it God? And the answer according to the psalm is yes, right? That, that both are true, that the enemies have brought this trouble on him cruelly, but that God's own hand of guidance and direction and providence was behind that. Right here we come to the great mystery of the sovereignty of God. The idea that God is in control of all things, even evil things. How could this possibly be? It's a mystery, right? We may not be able to ultimately explain it, but we can confess it to be true with the psalmist. We can say, God you have made me see many troubles and calamities. Sometimes these are deserved. Sometimes they're undeserved. We think again of Christ. All of his troubles were undeserved, right? He was the sinless son of God. Was God sovereign over Christ's troubles? Was God in control when Christ went to the cross? Yes, right? Peter says it like this, the Apostle Peter. He says, Jesus was delivered up to death according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Acts 2.23. God was sovereign over the unjust death of his son. And God is sovereign over our troubles. We can say with the psalmist, you, Lord, have brought me trouble. My point, though, is this. <clears throat> Believers should expect a lifetime of trouble. We should expect a lifetime of trouble. Maybe you've heard the old hymn, right? We shouldn't expect to sail off on beds of ease. Or is that, I can't remember how it goes, all right? Uh, <clears throat> we should expect a lifetime of trouble. Jesus even said this, right? Here's what Jesus said. He said many things about this, but here's one. A disciple is not above his teacher. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, that is, if they have called Jesus Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? Matthew 10, 24, and 25. We should expect trouble. We shouldn't be surprised by it. But, I'm not asking us all to be negative and cynical, all right? Um, <clears throat> like Jesus and like this psalmist, we should endure trouble in hope. We should endure trouble and hope. And this is the third point that I see from the psalm today. Believers should expect a lifetime of hope. Why should we endure trouble with hope? I think when we face trouble, when you, as you get older, like the psalmist, and you see the evil in the world, even evil in the church, evil in yourself, and you're tempted to become cynical and bitter right, and angry. But why should we endure trouble with hope? Because of God, right? Because of God. God is our strong refuge. I want you to notice how God-centered this psalm is. Almost every single verse mentions God. Either you, or God, or the Lord, or the Lord capitalized, which is the way we translate the Hebrew name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh. 
Right? This psalm is about God. This psalm is about the believer's hope in God. Right? God is the one to whom the author continually comes. Look in verse 3. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. Or look in verse 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you more and more. This is a lifetime of continual hope because of God. As the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the attitude of the psalmist. There's one aspect of God's character in Psalm 71 that I think is especially emphasized, and that's the righteousness of God. Did you see it? Look in verse 2. In your righteousness, deliver me. Look in verse 15. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts. Or in verse 16. With the, with the mighty deeds of the Lord I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Verse 19. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. Verse 24. My tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day. Right? So the righteousness of God is something really emphasized by the psalmist here. In trouble, <clears throat> we pray to the God who is righteous and just. That means he always does what's right, and he never does what's wrong. God's righteousness is often expressed in two complementary ways. He saves the oppressed, and he judges the oppressors. You can see these kind of twin ways that the righteousness of God works in verses 15 and 24. Verse 15 says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts and your deeds of salvation all the day. And then verse 24 says, My tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. So God saves the righteous, and he judges the wicked. He is a God of righteousness. This is why, in the midst of trouble, the believer can expect a lifetime of hope because we take refuge in the God of righteousness. I love the way that Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, Maybe you've heard this before. It's on, it's on the, I believe it's on the King Memorial in Washington, D.C. He said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Why is that? Is it because we're really righteous and we can bring about righteousness in society? No, I mean, think of the history of the world. There are so many injustices in the history of the world, right? Our country has been reeling over acts of injustice just this summer. But if we believe in God, right, we know that God is a God of righteousness. He's a God of justice, right? Therefore, we can say, the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice. Yes, God planned for Christ to suffer for our salvation, but he didn't leave him in the grave. 
he raised him from the dead, right? He justified him, right? He vindicated him from his oppressors. I think we see a small picture of this in the psalmist's hope in verse 20. Verse 20, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. Right? God raised Christ up to life in justice. And he, he has appointed the risen Christ to be the judge of the whole world. Right? One day Jesus will come and he will right all the wrongs in the world. This is our great hope. Right? This, this is why we now, we repent of our wickedness, right? And we seek for justice because we know that God is a God of justice, a God of righteousness. And therefore, the arc of the moral universe may be long, but it bends toward justice. And the place we see that most is in the final judgment, when God will right all wrongs and judge the world in righteousness through Jesus Christ. So like the psalmist, Believers should not only expect a lifetime of trouble, but they should expect a lifetime of hope in God. And if that's true, if all of that's true, the final theme that I see in this psalm this morning is that believers should expect a lifetime of praise. Believers should expect a lifetime of praise. I think one of the biggest themes in this psalm is the continual praise that the psalmist offers to God. You can see it in verse 6, my praise is continually of you. You can see it in verse 8, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. You can see it in verse 14, I, I will hope continually and will praise you more and more. Why does the psalmist praise God? Because God has answered his prayers, right? In righteousness, God has saved him. There's an interesting wordplay in verse 15. Verse 15 says, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. But literally in Hebrew, it's something like, my mouth will recount your righteous deeds, for their counting is past my knowledge. And there seems to be an emphasis on this idea that the acts of God's acts of righteousness and salvation are uncountable. Right? that they're innumerable, that as much as we could talk about them, we could never exhaust them. Right? <clears throat> what are God's acts of righteousness and salvation? We could think of the big ones, right? Like the exodus and the resurrection. Do you remember the exodus? Right? Israel was enslaved in Egypt. They cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered them and delivered them from slavery with mighty acts of power. Think of the resurrection. Christ was unjustly put in the grave, and God wrote, raised him from the dead. We, we can think of so many other ones. I thought, um, I thought of uh, the Civil War, right? How many, I wonder how many prayers, we think of how many prayers from Christian slaves were answered in the Civil War. Or I thought of World War II. It could have gone the other direction, right? But how many prayers were answered and Hitler was defeated? Now, I'm thinking big scale, right? But what about small scale in this room alone, right? How many prayers have been answered? Um, 
I have a little niece who was diagnosed with brain cancer two years ago. You can imagine, we, we've been praying fervently for her, right? Fasting, praying, the Lord answered our prayers, right? Right now, she's cancer-free. We've been spared sorrow upon sorrow, even though I'm like crying here. But it's <laughs> not out of sorrow, right? That's one story, one small story out of an innumerable number of answered prayers that are just represented in this room. And what about all around the world, right? The Lord has acted to save his people more times than we could ever possibly count. So I think that one thing that this psalm teaches us is that we, we learn from the psalmist that as, as we live a lifetime of hope in God, we should open our mouths and speak in praise to God. Um, look at verses 17 and 18. Verse 17, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. I think one, song, one thing this psalm teaches us is that those of us who are older should proclaim the mighty acts of salvation that God has brought to the next generation, right? So if you're in high school, right, you, and you're a believer, you should talk to your elementary school friends about the mighty acts of God, the exodus, the resurrection, the little answers to prayer that he's done in your life. If you're in college, you should talk to the next generation, to the high school kids, about the mighty acts of God. If you're 40, you should talk to the 20-somethings about the mighty acts of God, right? If you're 80, you should talk to everybody, <laughs> all right, uh, about the mighty acts of God, right? We praise the Lord. I think one way that we, we praise the Lord and we speak about his mighty acts of God is by singing, right? Uh, you see that in verse 22, I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, that's like a guitar, O holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. We should sing to the Lord, right? That's why it's so important for us to gather as a church and sing together in this very strange time. You know, non-Christians might wonder, why do you have to get together and sing? Just cancel that, you know? Uh, and I can understand that, but no, we, it's not optional, right? Uh, now, I'm not saying, you know, obviously we've got to make different decisions about our health and we're so glad that we can use YouTube and, and different technologies. But, but as Christians, part of the deal is a lifetime of getting together and praising the Lord in song, right? And, and not, just, not just in song, but also in conversation. And I see that in the final verse, verse 24. My tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. What, what do our tongues talk about all the day long? Right? Is it the, the eagles, right? Is that what we talk about all the day long? Or is it, uh, is it what's in the news cycle, right? Or is it, is it the righteous help of God, right? Do we talk about the righteous help of God all the day long, right? I'm not asking you to be weird about it, okay? <laughs> all right? Uh, we, we all figure that out in different ways. But I'm saying that believers, if it's true, if it's true that believers should expect a lifetime of prayer and trouble 
and hope, then it's also true that we should expect a lifetime of praise. Praise to the one who hears our prayer. Praise to the one who delivers us from our troubles. Praise to the one who gives us hope. So may the God of hope and righteousness... Sorry, may... (laughs) That sounded a lot better in my head. (laughs) May God and his righteousness and his salvation be the song of your hearts and, and the words on your lips today, tomorrow, and every day of your life, and forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this psalm. Your word is truth. I pray that you would teach this truth to our hearts. I pray that you would sustain us through a life of prayer and through the troubles that you bring our way and in hope in you and in praise of your holy name. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you're welcome to stand for our last song and please put your mask on as we sing this last song together.
Well, um, we're going to conclude with a benediction. Now, a benediction is a blessing for us as we go. And you can symbolize um, or the receiving of that blessing by holding your arms out. So go with this blessing. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Peace be with you. You're dismissed. Just a quick reminder, we need to be out of the building by 1045 and it's 1041. So any talking you would like to do, please do it out in the parking lot. Have a great week, everyone.
Jesus.